The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Once he got the football, he went, he was going full speed the entire time. He found himself a little crease, but you didn't see any dancing. You didn't see him slow down at all. He was going full speed. Good things are going to happen as a kickoff returner when you're always going full speed, exploding through the hole. 92 yards on the return for a touchdown. And the Hawkeyes, it took them 45 minutes to change, but they finally put some points on the board. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. We have our first of two weekly reporters' notebook segments in this podcast, this one featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' embarrassing loss at home to Penn State. You'll also hear some of what Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz had to say on the weekly Big Ten coaches' call. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include Brent Balbinot and Marv Cook, as well as sports reporters Scott Docterman of the Gazette, the Hawkeye Susan Dank, and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times. Be sure to check out Marv Cook's X's and O's show and our other Reporters Notebook podcast. The Iowa-Penn State game highlights are courtesy of the Big Ten Network with announcers Eric Collins and Derek Rackley. A good game calling this blowout. It was probably difficult to stay engaged as the night wore on. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz participated in the weekly Big Ten Coaches Conference call this week. Here's some of what he had to say about last week's loss and preparing for Northwestern. There wasn't much we did well, and uh, Penn State had a lot to do with that. They played uh, excellent football. They've been playing better with each week, and uh, they played an excellent football game, and we didn't match them. So, you know, we uh, lost the game, and you know, we'll just go back to work. It's it's not one specific area, I don't think. You know, we're not planning on surrendering or, you know, uh, not showing up the rest of the season. I think what happened Saturdays, uh, I like to think it's an aberration. And again, I'm not diminishing Penn State's role. They played a tremendous football game. We didn't. And uh, unfortunately, I've been involved in games like that. I don't think it's representative of our football team. And uh, it may be of theirs. I mean, they're they're playing very, very well. But I like to think we're a little bit better than that. You know, we're not playing any major overalls. We just have to, to do what we do better. Important game for everybody this weekend, not just in our game, but every, everywhere in the conference. You know, it's just what football's all about. So, you know, credit to them. They, they've done well. And, uh, but, you know, what's happened over the last, you know, last year, two years or seven years really doesn't matter this week it's it's uh you know the team that plays the best on saturday it's everything you work on everything and uh you know i think we're we're making progress it didn't show up saturday uh that's for sure but it's it's a it's a long road 
Let's take a quick look back at some game notes and key stats from last Saturday's Iowa-Penn State game. In the black and gold spirit game, under the lights with an electric crowd and a nationwide TV audience, the Iowa Hawkeyes were humiliated by the Penn State Nittany Lions in such a dominant fashion that something very rare occurred. Kinnick Stadium was nearly half empty by the end of the third quarter. Iowa was soundly whipped in all three phases of this game. The only two highlights for the Hawkeyes were the pregame fireworks for the team's entrance and Jordan Cotton's 92-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, but even that came in the fourth quarter when the game was long out of reach. Penn State snapped a four-game losing streak to Iowa at Kinnick and now leads in the all-time series 13-12. Iowa's offense was once again just plain awful, as was quarterback James Vandenberg, who now looks lost in this new offensive scheme through the first seven games of the season. But Iowa's defense was exposed in this game by a well-conceived and flawlessly executed Penn State offense under the guidance of the Big Ten's leading quarterback, Matt McGloin. From Iowa's perspective, there was very little that was positive. Wide receiver Keenan Davis caught his 100th career pass, plus a touchdown pass that came late in the game. Iowa's defense recovered two Penn State fumbles, one by Tanner Miller in the end zone for a touchback that prevented an additional Penn State touchdown. The other, Christian Kirksey, returned for 45 yards. Place kicker Mike Meyer, who had hit 13 straight field goals in 14 of 15 on the year, missed both of his attempts in this game, one from 49 yards, the other from 37 out. While sometimes stats can be misleading, in this game they were very telling. In fact, this contest was not nearly as close as the score indicated. Nearly every statistic that matters in a game was in Penn State's column. First downs, Nittany Lions 29 to Iowa's 14. Net yards rushing, Penn State 215 to an unbelievable 20 for the Hawkeyes. Net yards passing, McGloin 289, Vandenberg 189. Total offense, Iowa had only 209 yards to Penn State's 504. Total offensive plays, the Nittany Lions and eye-popping 90 to Iowa's 59. Penn State doubled possession time against the Hawks. It was 8 of 17 on third down conversions to Iowa's 2 of 12. The Nittany Lions scored 5 out of 6 times in the red zone. Iowa was only 1 of 4. Penn State also sacked Vandenberg 4 times, while the Hawkeyes were not only unable to get a single sack against McGloin, they barely were able to pressure him at all throughout the entire game. So the field goal unit will come on. Mike Myers has been one of the best field goal kickers, not only in the Big Ten, but in the entire country. 14 of 15 on the year. He's made his last 13 in a row. But this one's not going to be easy. 49 yards. Older John Winky. And the kick had enough oomph, but it was wide left. That snaps the streak of 13 in a row made by Meyer. So the Hawkeyes miss an opportunity. Meyer misses from 49 yards. Time now for the first of our two weekly Reporters Notebook shows, this one with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Penn State game and more. Steve, here we are a few days after the game, and I think many of us are still struggling with what our thoughts are about that performance Saturday night at Kinnick Stadium. Certainly the poorest performance 
from an Iowa offense that we've seen in quite some time, but basically it was a complete breakdown in almost every phase. It, it certainly was. I mean, there's plenty of uh, work to do this week, and, and you know, offense, defense, you know, even special teams with, with uh, Meyer missing a couple of kicks. It, it, it certainly, uh, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a tough deal to kind of swallow if you're Iowa. You're coming in off a pretty emotional win over Michigan State, uh, a game where you, uh, you know, you think you might grab a little momentum from, and uh, you, you simply come out and lay an egg. And part of it is, I think, if, you, if you, it starts with the running game. If you, if you can't establish the run, it's going to be a long night. And, and it turned into an extremely long night for Iowa, probably one of the longest they've had in, in, in a multitude of years. A very impressive offensive performance by Penn State, especially considering that their new head coach, Bill O'Brien, installed an entirely new offensive scheme, philosophy, and here they are at midseason executing almost flawlessly. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you take a look at, uh, at what he's done with with that team and the struggles that they had offensively the past couple of years. Now, they've played a lot of young kids the last couple of seasons, and, uh, but when you look at, at some of the defections that they had for preseason this year, I mean, it, it's extremely impressive. And, and you look at a guy like Matt McGloin, who you know, really uh, was a, a kid who, you know, he's been in the mix at quarterback there over the last couple of years, but it's been such an unsettled situation out there. I don't think you know, he or, or really any of the other kids that they've tried there have had a chance to, to settle into a starting type role with, with any sort of comfort. And, uh, you know, he's embraced this as his last opportunity as a senior, one of, one of several seniors in, you know, on their team. And, and uh, he's really had a great season. He certainly had a, you know, a, a marvelous game on, on, on Saturday right from the onset. And this has been an extremely quick starting Penn State team. And, uh, you know, it's no fluke that they've, you know, that they've outscored people down 66 to nothing in the first quarter. They're coming out with good plans. They're coming out with a, a group that you know, has been able to execute what they want to do. And it's gotten Penn State off to some awfully good starts. And Iowa had no answer for that. Uh, two two nine-play drives to, to uh, right out of the chute in the first quarter. And it, it was a kind of a slow bleed on, on the defensive side. They were out there for a little while. And, and, and the fact that the Iowa offense really couldn't sustain anything uh, certainly only added to the issues that the Hawkeyes had. Yeah, I don't know where to begin in terms of looking at the stats in this game. And I was frankly stunned to hear Kurt Ferentz say on the post-game radio interview that he did with uh, Dolphin and Podolak that sometimes statistics can be distorting. I mean, my gut reaction then and, and my reaction here a few days later is still the same. Statistics actually told the true story in this game. And frankly, the game was a lot more lopsided than the score indicated. But if you go down here, I mean, you're looking that Penn State doubled Iowa in first downs, 28 to 14. Iowa had 20 yards rushing, 20. Penn State, 215. Net yards passing were 289 to 189 and 504 total offensive yards versus 209 for Iowa. But still, the stunning number for me is 90 offensive plays that Penn State was able to run in that game. And that's nine fewer than they ran the week before against Northwestern. So, I mean, this is is a Penn State offense that when they get that so-called NASCAR set going, it it moves and it moves quickly. And you've got to be able to adjust defensively on the fly and keep those guys out of out of a rhythm and Iowa was just never able to get that done. Uh, it, it was uh, a well-oiled machine and and it uh, you know it was 24 to zero at halftime and, and very quickly 31 to zero right after halftime. Uh, you know before the Hawkeyes really were able to, to do much of 
anything in that game. Yeah, we usually start these conversations talking about Iowa's team, but let's keep talking Penn State here for a minute. Also impressive for Penn State's offense were the use, the way they used receivers. Now, going through to nine different receivers, particularly their sophomore wideout, Allen Robinson, looks like if he's not the best receiver in the Big Ten, I'm not sure who is. He's certainly one of the best in the conference, if not the country. But also impressive was their use of their tight ends Saturday night. Absolutely. And obviously, that's a carryover from O'Brien's days at the Patriots. I mean, it certainly is is a significant part of what they're doing. And you're right about Robinson. For a kid who caught three balls a year ago, a year ago as a freshman, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a smooth of a receiver as you're going to see. He's a perfect fit for what they're trying to do. And, and when you start looking at tight ends, they've got a bunch of them, and they're putting them all to use. And, you know, I, you look at guys like Kyle Carter, I mean, they're, they're, they're kids who, who are perfect fits for what for what he wants to do with that offense. And, uh, you know, given the hand that he's been dealt this year, he, he's really done a good job of playing to their potential and to their strengths. And, and uh, you know, this is a Penn State team that, you know, lost its, its top returning rushers, a kid, you know, a kid who was supposed to be one of the best backs in the Big Ten, who, you know, now is, is you know, in the mix out at, at a USC. But uh, uh, they've had to find other ways to move the football. And, you know, Bill Belton, who, who has not been healthy, certainly won on Saturday and, and gave them some some uh, ability on the ground, which, you know, forced Iowa to kind of play them honest. And, and uh, when you can do that, when you can mix that, that run in the pass, it, it becomes a very difficult proposition to defend. Let's flip the coin here and stay with uh, Penn State offense versus Iowa's defense. What did you see going on out there? Because it, it almost looked like Iowa's defense wasn't prepared for what Penn State was going to run. They certainly didn't execute well. And middle linebacker James Morris, I thought, had a very telling comment in his post game interviews where he, he he said something basically to that effect. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and I think the Iowa issue started up front. Uh, this is a pretty inexperienced defensive line, and, and, you know, really for the first time this season, as much growth as, as you know, we all have seen from that unit, it, it was a struggle from the start up front, and, I, and Penn State, I think, won, won this game uh, really with what started up front on both sides of the line, man. It, you know, it, it was men against boys at times, and, and and that's you know that's not a good situation to be in. And you know Iowa never really was able to get a probably needed to commit an extra you know a linebacker or, or a D back on on on, on some blitz possibilities. But it, it just seemed like they were in the wrong place at the wrong time all night long. And and it it uh, it snowballed. I mean it was one of those things where they had a masterful plan and they executed it. And Iowa was never really able to adjust the way that we've seen them adjust in other games. You know on the one hand you're tempted to give Iowa's defense or cut them a little bit of slack because Iowa's offense didn't stay on the field at all. And Iowa's defense spent almost the entire night on the field. And it was clear in the second half that defense was not only gashed, but gassed. But you can't make that excuse in the first half. I mean, Penn State put up 304 offensive yards in the first half. Yeah, I mean, mean, it was a 38 to 22 edge in possession time overall. And, you know, in the first half, it was about a six minute difference. So, you know, it was was a situation that, that started early, but I, I think the Penn State caught them off guard a little bit, and, and uh, it, it was simply with both a combination. That they threw some nice deep balls. I thought McGloin really uh, impressed me with with his arm at times, and it was a it was a, uh, a situation where Iowa's defense found itself on its heels almost from the you know the, the opening bell, and you know, and I think we saw that again in the second half when they came out and connected immediately for that 40, 40 plus yard pass to start the half, and you know. Kind of sent a, it sent a pretty strong 
message that they weren't going to uh, to you know call it quits or, or rest on on a lead and, and uh, you know mentally I mean that's that's pretty taxing and, and I think we saw some of that as the game went along as well I think Iowa was beaten not only physically but mentally at times. Yeah, your comment on the deep balls being completed, I was kind of skated on thin ice in that regard in several of the earlier games where they were beaten by the receivers who were wide open and the quarterbacks couldn't complete those passes. But Saturday night, McGloin was able to complete them. Yeah, and I mean, there's a reason that Penn State came into this game uh, with, you know, with the most productive passing attack in, in the Big Ten. And, and uh, they simply demonstrated why. It was, you know, kind of picked your poison. You want to go long, you want to go short to the tight ends. What, what do you want to do in this situation? And, and, they, and they did a little bit of everything. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, the number of receivers they had in, had involved on, uh, throughout from start to finish was was uh, impressive. And, and it, it, it speaks to the talent that, you know, is still within that program. They certainly have, you know, had their, their issues in terms of retention and that type of thing following the problems they had this summer. But, uh, you know, don't shed too many tears. And as Kirk Ferentz kind of warned last week about Penn State and a lack of talent because there are some good football players in that program still to this day. I guess if you wanted to look for any positives at all in terms of the defense, they did have two fumble recoveries and the score might have been a lot worse if they hadn't. One of them they recovered in the end zone for a touchback and the other, Kirksey, uh, had a nice run back after he, he recovered the fumble. Yeah, they didn't quit, uh, you know, and I, it's uh, which would be easy to do on a night like that, but uh, you know, this group continues to kind of chug along and I mean, it's not uh, um, it's, it was a defensive effort that I'm sure none of those guys are proud of but it uh, um, you know they continue to compete and continue to try to defend and, and do the things that uh, you know they were being asked to do and, and you know there, there are you know little victories along the way and I guess those, those are probably two of a very few that Iowa was able to enjoy on Saturday night. Let's look at special teams here outside of the fireworks when the Iowa team came on the field the only other highlight of the game was probably Jordan Cotton's 92-yard touchdown return, and this off of a kickoff, and this one wasn't called back because of a penalty. Yeah, Jordan is really uh, showing an ability there to to make some magic happen, and and that's one of those things that uh, you know Iowa desperately needs that type of thing. It's it's the type of thing in a close game that can make a huge difference. By the time it happened the other night, the game was pretty much out of control. But uh, uh, you know, I, you look at Jordan and, and and really what he's given Iowa over the last three four games and. What we're seeing there is a kid that is really starting to kind of finally blossom and become the the player that uh, you know everybody knew that uh, that he could be. He was a you know a, a high school uh, sprint hurdle type champion at Mount Pleasant. Uh, you know played running back there primarily, but uh, you know he, he's developing into a, a big play type receiver and and also uh, certainly a, a valuable weapon on, on on kickoff returns. And you know I was going to see another one of those types of guys this week at Northwestern and in. in Henrik Mark, and uh, when you've got them, I mean, they become a real important part of what you're trying to do, and, and you know, if Cotton can continue to give that type of consistency, it's, it's, it's going to be a pretty exciting second half of the season, at least in that segment of the game. Well, that was the good news on special teams, and I guess the bad news was, you know, things aren't going well for you. It's not your night when your outstanding place kicker misses two field goals. Yeah, uh, Mike Meyer did not have a good night, and, and you know, whether it would have been the 49-yarder when, when Iowa finally was able to kind of sustain some offense in the first half uh, or, or the, you know, the, uh, the 37-yarder later on, it, you know, it, in both situations, it, it kind of came when the game was still a little bit in, 
in question, and, and it really um, it, those kinds of things. That when when you've got a guy who's been oh so consistent, and then just it kind of hits you in the gut as this this just isn't you know this isn't the night. It's not happening, and it, and uh, you know we've kind of probably taken Meyer and and you know the snaps of Casey Kreider and then the holds of John Wenke a little bit for granted here over the first part of the season. And you know the fourteen to fifteen start was uh, you know that's pretty special. And those things don't come around too often. And, and he's shown some real growth there, but he, he had a bad game on Saturday night. And, and uh, you know, he's the type of kid that, um, you know, prior following his first miss against Northern Illinois was, was as upset about that as he was about any of the makes that he had in that game. And he had a, he's the type of kid that will, will examine what went wrong and try to learn from it. And then, you know, he, he'll be he'll be a type of a player I would suspect that we're going to see a fairly good bounce back from here in the upcoming week. He did make a game-saving touchdown on, on a kickoff return. Uh, you need that once in a while. <laughs> You've got to be able to do that. So it's, uh, you know, he, he's a kid that's showing probably as much improvement over where he was a year ago at this time as, as almost anybody on the roster. And, and it's encouraging because, I mean, he's still he's still a junior. He's still got another year and a half. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's already erased Nate King's names from, from a couple of, of uh, uh, lists. And, and uh, you know, and he's going to challenge. I think I think he moved up two more notches on Nyland scoring also over the weekend into the seventh spot. So, uh, you know, he's having putting together really a nice career. Iowa did block a field goal attempt by Penn State. Louis Trinka-Passat did that, so that was a positive. But you can see why with Penn State's kicking struggles, and of course Sam Ficken actually hit one while Meyer was missing his Saturday night, but you can see why they go for fourth down conversions quite a bit, and they went for three more on Friday, but only made one. Yeah, you know, and I mean, that's been the big part of the reason that they have attacked worked down the way they have it. You know, Thicken uh, is a kid who really didn't expect to be put into this role when, when spring ball was going on, certainly. And, and you know, he's, uh, you know, he came out of the shoot in the Virginia game and really struggled mightily, and then they end up losing by one, and he misses three or four field goal attempts in that game. And, uh, you know, yeah, for, a, for a young kid like that, that, that can be pretty demoralizing. I mean, we, how many kickers have we seen over time that have just kind of disappeared after it? A, a thing like that, and you know, he entered the game having made three of nine, and you know, to step on the field in the first half and, and knock through his first one. I mean, it, it just was shows you the kind of way things were going. One for Penn State, and two for Iowa uh, on Saturday night, because uh, uh, you know, I, I think any points that they get right now out of their kicking game, they pretty much consider a bonus at this point. Now, turning to the offense, it's Iowa's worst home loss in over a decade. They've now lost three home games for the first time since the two. 2006 season. They've yet to play Nebraska here, which will happen the Friday after Thanksgiving, so that that could be going downhill even more. But where do you even begin with the offensive struggles? We're more than midway through the season, and you know, on the one hand, you have Penn State, all new coaches, entirely new system and philosophy. They're hitting on every cylinder, and then Iowa's offense is almost the complete opposite. Yeah, it, it, it was a struggle in every phase on, on, on Saturday, no question. And, you know, Mark Wiseman gave it a go, but I mean, it was pretty apparent right from the start. One, that he wasn't healthy, and two, that he was facing, uh, you know, a defense that he had not seen before. Uh, uh, you know, Hodges and, and, and Motti in the middle for, for Penn State are, are, you know, two of the better linebackers that, that I was going to face this season. And, and they set a tone early. And, and it, uh, I give credit to Wiseman for, for trying to make it work, but uh, it, it just obviously, you know, the, the ability to kind of spring free was there, 
whether it be the push offs or the cuts, it, it, an ankle sprain is an ankle sprain, and, and he he wasn't anywhere close to 100%. That said, I, I, he wasn't getting the type of holes that, that he had been getting. Some of that in, initially, you know, he can fault the usual suspects, but then obviously late in the first quarter, Brandon Sheriff goes down, and then two plays later, uh, you know, Andrew Donnell goes down as well, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're without, you know, two-fifths of, of, of your starting five up front, and, uh, you know, that group that had been playing so well together and blowing open holes right and left, uh, you know, was it was all of a sudden pretty vulnerable, and uh, it, it was a struggle in the run game from the start. I mean, I was rushing performance was its worst since, since an 06 performance against Ohio State, which, if you look back to that game, was also, was that was also the last time Iowa was beaten by any more points than it was beaten by on Saturday, and, and uh, you know, you, you've got to be able to get something on the ground, and, and you know, when, when Greg Garman is leading the way with 27 yards on eight carries, I mean, that's not a good sign for any offense, and, you know, in particular, it's not a, a good sign for an, an Iowa offense where the passing game is, has been inconsistent from the start of the season. I guess if you're an Iowa fan, you can sort of think that one positive is the team has just finished playing probably the two best defenses it will face all season. Michigan State, probably the best. And then this Penn State defense Saturday night, especially with Hodges and Mati and Hill, who incidentally was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week for his game against the Hawks. But even if you want to go down that road, you have to look back at the earlier games outside of Michigan State and Penn State, and this offense has struggled in, in nearly every game it's played. They've been held the one offensive touchdown of the last season in four of the seven games that they've played. And I think that's, that's a real telltale stat of, of just how difficult it has been for Iowa to move the football and then to move it consistently enough to put yourself in a position where you're scoring points. And obviously, uh, you know, that's kind of the name of the game. You want to find a way into the end zone. And that's something that's just been a struggle for the Hawkeyes all season long. And I mean, you've got, uh, you know, a, a, a rushing attack, which which has been fairly effective at times. You've got a passing attack, which has been pretty inconsistent from start to finish and you know if there was a positive in, in, in that segment of the game uh, you know C.J. Fedorowicz had a career high with five catches uh, on Saturday he didn't necessarily pick up a lot of yards after those catches but uh, you know the, the tight end was probably a little more involved some of that probably out of necessity because uh, you know I would certainly had uh, plenty of opportunities to put the ball in the air after falling behind yeah, Martin Manley had four catches Keenan Davis had four and Davis went over 100 for his career but you're when you're talking only 5.2 yards per attempt in passing and, you know, 11.1 per completion, um, the 11.1 per completion is not too bad, but that 5.2 per attempt is not, not going to get a lot done. No, and if you take Keenan Davis's 31-yard catch out of that out of that mix, it, it becomes real pedestrian real quick in, in terms of what they were getting on completions. And, you know, and I, I do give Penn State some credit for that. Uh, their defense really... Uh, um, you know, was in my opinion, was certainly much better than the Michigan State defense that Iowa saw a week ago, which was an awfully good defense. But uh, Penn State just seemed to be a little more athletic, a little more, uh, you know, a little more uh, in tune with what they were trying to do from one play to the next. And, and it, it really took Iowa out of its game right from the start. And, and the fact that the running game wasn't 100% certainly played a factor into that. The worst thing you can do as a football offense is become a one-dimensional type team. And that that really is where I was at last Saturday. More from Steve Batterson after this break. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh. 
a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the news and events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and on Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times, and listen to Brent Balbinot on Hawkeye's Mike and on the Balbinot and Brummel Camp Show weekdays 4 to 7 p.m. on KGYM, ESPN Sports Radio in Cedar Rapids, and at KGYMRadio.com. Back to our conversation with Steve Batterson, who talks in depth about Iowa's quarterback situation, plus the big recruiting weekend. Well, it's obvious I've saved the worst for last. Let's talk about quarterback James Vandenberg and where you think he is right now. My guess is he's probably continuing to get ready for Northwestern. I mean, that's Vandenberg. I mean, he's he's a pretty heady kid, and and, and, um, as disappointed as everybody sitting in the stands was on on Saturday night, there's no question that he was probably even more frustrated with his own performance. And uh, You know, this hasn't been the type of senior season that he envisioned, and seven games into it. Uh, it's been a season filled with inconsistent efforts and, and uh, you know, and, and an inability to, to put the ball into the end zone. And, and, you know, those were two things that he did a pretty decent job of, of, of a year ago as a first-year starter. And I think everybody kind of took that for granted that it was just going to not only continue, but he was, that he would be able to build off of that this season. And, you know, statistically, his percentages are, are not terribly far removed from where he was a year ago. You know, he, he's completing the same number of passes. Now, they've been shorter completions, and some of that probably has to do with the fact that Marvin McNutt was, you know, sitting in the stands on Saturday night as opposed to being on the field, but it, 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 it's been a struggle as Iowa adapts to a new offense and, and uh, an offense where, you know, shorter passes uh, you know, maybe uh, are more suited for, for kids who maybe are a little more athletic than what Iowa has on the field right now, and, and it, it's been an issue, uh, and, and it, it's an issue that probably isn't going to go away. I think recruiting is probably the only solution, and and you know that takes time. You know we we haven't we haven't seen much of, of the receiving core beyond the, that core group of guys that have been out there, and and uh, you know Tavon Smith is is in the two deep. He, you know a true freshman, but he, you know, we really haven't seen enough of him to know if if you know if he's the next great thing or or if, if he's just simply right now. I think he's probably more in that freshman mode and just trying to kind of figure it was figure his way. Around around the routes, and, and he's at least running them crisply enough that they at least feel confident enough to put him on the two deep and throw him onto the field once in a while. But it, it's been a struggle, and I think Vandenberg is, is uh, you know, when you're the 
quarterback, you, you, you get the good and you get the bad, and, and you probably get a little too much in each direction, from, you know, whether it be deserved or not. But uh, you, you live with that, and he certainly is. And, and to his credit, he continues to, you know, answer all the questions and answer them to the best of his ability. And, and you know, But you can see that he's kind of frustrated with the way things have gone this season. And, and it's understandable because it, it certainly hasn't been the type of offensive season that I think he probably envisioned. Several people have written since that game and commented that you know McGloin is the quarterback that people thought Vandenberg would be, and yet he isn't. And Saturday night, a lot of the same, all of the same, even amplified problems that that he's had all season long. The sense of panic, some of the mechanics with the footwork, the inexplicable. I mean, he, you know, he did fumble the one time where he actually dropped the ball. He wasn't even hit. He threw an interception directly to Maudie, um in the second half, which was Iowa's opening drive in the second half. We're this deep into the season where it seems like it's not unreasonable to stop blaming other aspects of the offense and just wonder if he's going to get any better. Well, I, I, yeah, and, and it's a very valid question, and, and I think you know, I think we're seeing you know we're seeing what he is, and I mean we're seeing that you know James Vandenberg is, is a is a solid quarterback. He's an average Big Ten quarterback, and and I think that that's something that uh, if you look, uh, and I guess that's kind of where I lean back on the stats from a year ago. I, he, he won games last year uh, with the same kind of percentages. Uh, this year, they're playing 500 ball with those percentages, and, and that's that's really, I think, probably the, the biggest difference. You know, you, the games are shorter, but you know, you can you can look at it. You know, the footwork problems were there a year ago. There has not been a lot of progress in in, in terms of correcting those. You know, the vision questions about whether or not he's, he's spotting guys at times. Those, those questions were there a year ago as well. And uh, but a lot of that stuff kind of gets glossed over when when you've got a guy who can you know like a McNutt who can go up and make fingertip catches and do some crazy things to move the football. When you don't have that kind of talent around you, the the uh, the warts, if you will, they they kind of uh, you know they kind of come to the forefront a little quicker. And uh, as you look closer at, at what he's done and what he's doing, you, you see some of those issues that maybe got glossed over a little bit too easily a year ago. Externally, I, you know, I think internally, you know, that, that work and, and the development process, I think, you know, that, that's something I think that's, that's continued, and, and I think it continues now. Uh, you know, they continue to work from one week to the next to try to correct issues, and, and uh, you know, uh, some of it is just stuff I think people are going to have to live with this year because it's pretty apparent from what uh, Kirk has said that James is going to be his quarterback from, from this point forward. Yeah, I wrote Saturday night that not only does he look like he's become a head case out there, but that maybe Ferentz should have taken him out of that game as an act of mercy. It almost looks like, which seems so odd as a fifth-year senior with as much experience as he has, that the game has actually sped up for him at this point in his career instead of slowed down. It's a good observation, and I think in some ways it probably has, and some of that I think has to do with the fact that he's working out of a new system this year. I mean, he spent four years in one system, and all of a sudden now everything is new from the terminology to, to what he's being asked to do and, and and how he's being asked to do it and uh, you know so all of a sudden he faces a new a new system and one of the questions I asked him prior to the start of the season was you know how he felt he 
could benefit from being around two different coordinators. And, you know, and he felt that there were some opportunities there to, to show that he could take what Greg Davis brought to this program and by grasping it and, and excelling at it, it would certainly help him moving forward. But the problem in reality has been that the struggles that he's had this season indicate that, you know, maybe he hasn't quite picked it up to the to the level of one Greg Davis would have led us to believe and, and two that uh, uh, that he had hoped to uh, initially and it's been kind of it's been a struggle from the start no question really does make you wonder how significant the gap might be between Vandenberg and Rudock who's listed number two and or whether it's that plus a combination of Kirk's legendary loyalty to his starting quarterbacks and conservative nature and reluctance to make changes Kirk was asked three times in, in the post game on, on Saturday about uh, whether or not he, he thought about making a change at quarterback in, in, in the fourth quarter after the game was certainly out of hand. And, you know, you, you certainly can make a move like that without it being a punitive type thing. I mean, you can certainly, you know, indicate, you're my starter. I'm going to I'm gonna go a little deeper into the bench and we'll see what, uh, you know, we'll see what Jake hasn't been in the game yet this season and, and we'll see what, you know, what he can do for us and, and you know, give him a chance to at least play and get some experience. Uh, but Kirk chose not to do that. You know, we don't see Jake Rudock in practice and Kirk pretty much indicated the third time he was asked that there was uh, you know, a pretty sizable gap between one and two right now on the depth chart. You know, it, it certainly would seem to indicate such uh, the fact that, that he was unwilling to put him out there. You know, and some of it may just be, you know, may come down to things off-field type, you know, practice situations in terms of whether he feels that uh, one Jake is, is ready or too deserving of, of a chance to come into a game and, and, and compete. And, you know, and that may get into practice habits and, and, and those types of things, but uh, you know, it, it certainly would have been an opportunity to to uh, test an, another quarterback and at least get him some experience. But uh, Iowa was, uh, uh, you know, apparently not in a position to do that. And Kirk said he did kind of weigh that possibility, but uh, his response was that he had bigger questions to answer that that night than, than to provide Jake Rudock with a little experience. And so James stayed out there. You know, and I think part of it was I think they were simply trying to get something or anything going offensively to, to, to get him in a position where he could walk away feeling a little bit better about what transpired and, and uh, uh, I'm not sure that was accomplished either. To your point, I was very surprised to find out that of the 124 football teams in the FBS, Iowa is the only team that has played exclusively one quarterback through the first eight weeks of the season. It's amazing, uh, really, when you think about that because there are so many situations that uh, kid gets dinged up just a little bit or you know needs to come out for a play uh, you know the, the helmet rule <laughs> you know this year you know you would think that at some point over the course of, of the first seven games that there would have been a situation where James would have had to have come off the field even for just a, a play or a series or something or that a game would have been in a situation you know in the fourth quarter not unlike Saturday or, or really the Minnesota game a couple weeks prior to that you could have put somebody in for a series near near the end of the game just to gain some experience or, or to reward them for further work and practice. That hasn't happened. And and I think that uh, that does speak volume to kind of where Iowa's depth is at at quarterback. When, when you do talk to people who, who've been at practice, you know, they, they kind of indicate that there is there is no clear-cut number two, really, you know, at this point. And uh, Rudock is, is certainly the guy that's listed there. And he's been around in the program for, uh, you know, a year and a half now, but, you know, Cody Sokol is, 
is a kid who came in from junior college last January and, and is learning the system. But he obviously, they're trying to protect a redshirt year with him uh, and, and set up a competition for next spring. And it, it certainly appears that both of those guys are going to hit the ground next spring with about the same amount of variance, unless Vandenberg should happen to suffer some sort of an injury here down the stretch. But uh, it, it looks like both of those guys are going to go into the spring without any game experience whatsoever. And, and Greg Davis was actually asked that during the bye week news conference, um, if he felt a need or, or a desire to, to get that backup, some, some experience at some point along the way. He said it's nice to do, but he didn't necessarily consider it necessary. This is kind of how he uh, phrased his answer. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in the coaches' meetings or be able to read Greg Davis's mind because there have been numerous reports over the years that, that some of the coaches' meetings got pretty heated, particularly over personnel decisions on the offensive side of the ball with Ferentz um, generally overruling, obviously, as the head coach, you know, his assistants. But Greg Davis walking out of the coach's booth in the press box at halftime and heading for the elevators, his face was beet red. Now, there's probably multiple reasons for that, but it would be nice if Kirk actually let the coordinators talk to the media more often than he does, because even when they give you coach speak, you might be able to better read between the lines about what they're really thinking. It's it's tough to glean anything from from that. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, other programs, uh, the coordinators are made available on a semi-regular basis, some weeks uh, post-game, some places uh, pre-game type situations or, or during the course of the week. But uh, that's, that's never been the way Kirk has done it. And, and uh, his thought process is, is that uh, uh, typically uh, the program should have one voice. And, and uh, while he has been a little more open with the number of voices that we've been able to talk with here in, in recent times as opposed to a couple of years ago, when, when, we, when there was no in-season access uh, uh, to, a, to a Greg Davis or a Phil Parker, and uh, you know, I think that's a it's a, it, that's coach's decision. Uh, he's he's in charge, and he's he's the guy that has to answer for whatever transpires on on that field. And, and uh, you know, apparently that's something he wants to concentrate on, and he wants to keep the focus uh, for the coaches on on the coaching. You know, Greg Davis at Texas was a guy who was accessible and available from time to time. Matt Brown has always made assistance available on occasions, and you know, I, I, this may be an adjustment for him in, in, in terms of that. But it also, I think, probably alleviates from Perk's perspective some of the issues. It allows Greg to continue to, to coach and, and work to get his group a little more in tune and on the same page and, and moving forward and, and, and not have to deal with uh, uh, sitting in front of a, a bunch of grumpy reporters uh, on occasion. If there is a bold berth, I'm sure we'll have a, a, another opportunity to talk to Greg prior to that. He'll maybe get his thoughts. And, you know, his thoughts a couple of weeks ago during the bye week were, were that uh, it certainly hadn't been as consistent as, as what he had hoped offensively, but uh, uh, but there was progress, and, and you know, I think he, he was fairly pleased with the offensive line's growth, which, uh, you know, took a step back on Saturday, which I guess is to be expected with a group of uh, as inexperienced as Iowa is in some spots, but but it uh, it certainly was disappointing coming off of two pretty solid performances, no question. As we close out this week's conversation, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the broader implications of that game Saturday night with respect to the fact that Iowa had its biggest recruiting weekend of the year. They had 30 recruits in town. How does a game like that and a performance like that impact those recruits? I think it's probably an individual thing with each kid. Um, I, I don't think that a lot of kids hit one school based on one game experience. You know, I, I think a lot of the kids that came out here were here on unofficial visits. They had a chance to kind of snoop around the camp 
campus a little bit, kind of get a feel for what a game night at Kinnick is like. Um, I'm sure, I'm, you know, I'm certain that they had a, a great experience before the game actually kicked off. What they saw on the field, for some, probably maybe provided an opportunity where they see themselves fitting in fairly quickly, which for some kids, that's not all that unimportant. I mean, that's something that a lot is attractive to some recruits. It's an individual type thing, and I think that probably in the big picture, I don't think Iowa probably helped itself a great deal, and it probably didn't hurt itself a great deal. I think it's all a part of the process. And, you know, Kirk has never been a big fan of in-season recruiting, in part because he just doesn't feel like the coaches are in a position, or really the players are in a position either, to give the kids the type of attention that they would like to give them uh, if they were to visit, say, during the uh, you know during the winter season when uh, the, the focus and concentration can be kind of elsewhere, and, and, and a kid can actually step into a practice-type situation if they're working towards a bowl or something like that, spend the day viewing a practice. And, you know, he, he likes the fact that they can kind of come in on an unofficial experience of game day at Kinnick, but it's only a, pa- a small part of the deal. I guess I agree with everything you just said, but the one additional factor, Saturday night, and it, you know, pregame and the black and gold spirit night and everything, that had to be a pretty phenomenal experience for those recruits. But as the game progressed, at the end of the second half and then again uh, in the third quarter, the, the almost rampant booing, particularly at Vandenberg in the offense, you wonder how kids react to that. Well, and that probably, if, if there was a downside to Saturday, that probably was it. Yeah, and again, I think it's probably an individual thing. There were probably some, some kids there that were taken aback by that. There were probably some kids that got a real eye-opener in, in terms of, of what college football is like. You know, Iowa, Kinnick Stadium isn't the only place where fans who are disgruntled boot. It certainly doesn't necessarily put the program in a very good light when it happens, but when it happens as frequently as it did on Saturday night, you know, it certainly becomes a part of the equation, and, and you know, I think it's one of the fans have to kind of take a look at as well and consider whether or not they necessarily want to contribute to that, but, you know, these are 17- and 18-year-old kids that are sitting there experiencing this, and, you know, you don't hear a lot of booing when you, you know, when you're on the field of a high school game. It just doesn't happen. You know, I mean, it's one thing to kind of jeer the opposing team when they come onto the field or something like that, and, you know, you occasionally run into that at the high school level, but uh, this was a different type of booing, and, and it was uh, it was pretty rampant at times. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of disappointing in, in that, it, just from the standpoint that, yeah, obviously, there, there were 30 kids there that, uh, you know, at least are considering Iowa as, as a possibility of where to continue their careers, and, and they uh, they certainly uh, experience uh, both the good from the experience of, of what that evening started out to be, and, and the bad, based on not only what transpired on the field, but certainly the, the, the booing that was uh, running through the stands from, from time to time. Well, that's cast rather a gloom over the evening, hasn't it? easiest interception of the year for Monty. His third pick of the season. Vandenberg didn't even see him. You can see Monty running right underneath him right there, number 42. Vandenberg did not pick him up out of his linebacker drop. you got to see where that linebacker is anytime that you're thrown out towards the right side. you got to know that he understood that it was a zone defense. Excellent job by Monty reading the quarterback's eyes, dropping back in the zone, and bringing in the football. HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. (laughs) 
Hawkeye's Mike Football Shows are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883-0842. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Our thanks again to the Big Ten Network for the game highlights this week, and thanks to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard on our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.